Now we have our bumper. Once again to World One Stage One, a classic video gaming podcast. I am Simon. I'm Troy. And I'm Jack. Show off. What? And this week we are here with the release of Mass Effect 2 imminently upon us. It's Friday. So once yeah. this comes out, it will be really, really close. Yeah, it'll be the end of the week. It's now the end of the week, and it will be the end of the week. Oh crap, I just remembered something. What? It gets released on Friday. Yes. I get paid on Friday. You didn't just remember that. Also, that's not a bad thing. It is. No, it's not. It means you'll be be able to buy massive... No, because I'm supposed to be paying bills and whatnot. Oh, fuck those. (laughs) Ah, true. Who who cares about those? Clearly not Troy. I paid everything I need to. Apart from the bills. Yep. And a couple of hundred quids worth of Star Trek Online. No, I paid that. (laughs) Uh, Mind you, I will be joining you as soon as I can afford it, so... If I can raise the money in time. Yeah. You want the mini skirt, really, don't you? I, oh, that'll that's... be available all the time. That doesn't come with a lifetime subscription. That's the... Um, the digital... Collector's the... edition. Collector's edition. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Which will be always available. Not oh. necessarily. Longer than the lifetime subscription. True. Uh, but I will be getting a lifetime subscription if I can raise the money in time. Also, mini skirts. Speaking of which, it's my anyway. birthday coming up. What are you guys getting me? A disease. A haircut. Oh, I was hoping money towards a lifetime subscription, but... (laughs) Look at us, we don't have money. I just bought you pizza. You you do have money, Troy. You keep spending, like, 200 quid on games. Yeah, and tanks. research. (laughs) And metal heads. Yep. And little metal men. And little metal robot men to put plastic men in so they look like metal men from a film I like. But we're not here to talk about Mass Effect. Well, no, we are here to we, talk we about Mass Effect. We are here to talk about Mass Effect. We're not here to talk He's about not. my problems. World 1 Stage 1 brought to you this week by beer. <laughs> like yeah, we may have each. all been drinking. <laughs> yeah, we thought it was so much fun with Troy being drunk last time. We'd all drink. I'm a trendsetter. Uh, gentlemen. <gasps> yes, to, to evil. World 1 Stage 1. Uh, I, like, I like evil. To evil. To evil as well. And to the oppression of women. That is the saddest cling sound. That's because these are really cheap glasses. You're a cheap glass. <laughs> yes, we're not here to talk about Star Trek Online. We are here to talk about Mass Effect. And boy, howdy, do we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> Mass erect. Mass Effect, oh. just to quickly sum- uh, summarise, for anyone who doesn't know... Who the hell do you think you are coming around here listening to our podcast when you don't know about this? ...was the action RPG released by Bioware, uh, following on from their successful Knights of the Old Republic franchise. However, it showed them stepping away from Star Wars and into their own universe that they created from scratch. A very, very a brave move, I'd say, considering how, how well KOTOR did. Mm, well, KOTOR say... definitely did um, brilliantly. Mm. It was a fantastic game. But the question is, to my mind, whether they had the license to continue with Star Wars. Uh, yes, because it went to Obsidian, didn't it, the second game? Yeah. Um, so... 
who are doing the new Fallout game. I feel we need to mention that because it was brought up in the forums. That is true, yes. It was uh, correctly pointed out on our forthcoming games list that uh, New Vegas, uh, the new Fallout game, is supposedly out in 2010. Fallout 3.5, really, isn't it? Because it's not a direct sequel. It's uh, happening uh, approximately the same time period, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. This is on the other side of the country, though. Completely oh. the opposite other side of the country, isn't it? West. Nevada compared mm. to yeah, so it'll be it'll be have more in common with Fallout One and Two. Yeah, proper harsh Brotherhood of Steel. Yeah, yeah, we shall see. It should. It's an interesting setting because, you know, not to sound too harsh on the place, but Nevada, Las Vegas, especially, is kind of a wasteland now. <laughs> anyway, I get the, I get the distinct impression that we're uh, we're again moving away from Mass Effect. <laughs> Until we start start talking random bullshit for about half an hour, we're not going to be as bad as we were when we first started out. At least we are now talking about video games. Video games coming out this year, which is sort of a raison d'etre for January, I think, is uh, the looking ahead. We're very excited. We really are. Yeah, we are off topic, but we are not off the map. How long do you think? This came up the other day in my head. How long do you think before we start seeing uh, IGN and such like producing Game of the Year articles in January slash February? Oh, I don't think it's long before we uh, hear about our first contender for Game of the Year. In fact, I'm thinking Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Well... AVP's coming out, though. But I'm sure someone somewhere in the journalistic... I'll say that again. Someone somewhere in the journalistic sphere is going to classify Mass Effect 2 as a candidate for Game of the Year. So I'm Troy. I'm Jack. I'm Simon. And this has been a very brief World 1 Stage 1. Yeah, we're all playing Mass Effect 2 on on Friday, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Easily. Well, it depends what sitting it's on. True. Well, hang on. Can you afford it? No. Can you afford it? No. Yeah. God, no. Can you afford... <gasps> oh! Uh, uh, I could sell a kidney. I could sell a, his kidney. I'm going to stop drinking uh, to up the market price. <laughs> oh, You're just breaking it in. Yeah. <laughs> One careful owner. Still alive. No. But yeah, I could afford it, because I put money aside for this. I knew it was coming. Ah, uh, fair But, enough. money aside for Mass Effect 2, isn't that, isn't that you know, extra money for uh, Star Trek Online? I put money aside for Mass Effect 2, and n- no amount of conversion on my part towards Star Trek Online is going to stop me wanting to play Mass Effect 2 Good call. as soon as dude, possible. You've played Mass Effect 1, right? Right, and that's what we're here to talk about. Right. Mass Effect 1... By the uh, way, Mass Effect 2 is coming out. Should, should, should we point out that, um, because I have absolutely no interest in trying to do an hour-long show about Mass Effect whilst dancing around the plot. This is spoiler-heavy show, oh, right? Oh, God, yeah, we can't talk about how good Mass Effect is without spoiling the shit out of it. So... Because, oh my God. So if, if, if this is, you know, you're listening now and you haven't played Mass Effect, turn us off. Could then go play Mass Effect for two, for two reasons. One, then you can come back and listen to our sexy, manly voices... Hoorah. And two, then you will have all the grounding you need to go and play Mass Effect 2 when it comes out this Friday, available in all good games, retail stores, and Steam! I was wondering when we were going to get Steam in. Yep. Yep. And it has to be said that, I mean, no matter how good we are, and we're good, we are not as much fun as Mass Effect. Wow. I didn't think I was much fun as Hoop and Stick. <laughs> hey, so hey, if... Hoop and Stick's awesome. Yeah, my point. Oh, fair enough. If you haven't played Mass Effect, 
go play it. You're not missing anything. It's more fun than we are, and we're still here when you're done. Uh, Mass Effect's a really good game. Yeah, to set the setting for Mass Effect, uh, like I said, this is a universe that Bioware went out and created from scratch themselves, which is a bold move, as we may have mentioned earlier. The premise is that humanity has discovered a mass relay, which is in the game's uh, setting. It's like a it's like a giant space slingshot in effect. Yeah, that's it's their sort of gateway, faster than light travel MacGuffin. If Slow you... thing goes in, speedy thing come out. Right. Well, it slings you from Mass Effect relay to Mass Effect relay. The if... Mass Effect being the slingshot effect. If you think of Stargate without Richard Dean Anderson, you're onto a good a good start point. Yep. And this propelled humanity towards a location called the Citadel, which was a space station awaiting at the heart of the Mass Effect relays, uh, populated by all sorts of sentient races, uh, including but not limited to uh, Solarians, who are like look a little bit like your sort of classic greys in their giant black eyes, giant heads, little weedy bodies. Although they're very tall and sort of gangly tall, at the gangly, same time, mostly green and brown, green and blues. Yeah, yeah, um, sort of aquatic colours, mm-hmm. and with little horns atop their head. They're notable for having much faster thought processes than most other sentient species, and they consider us to be quite slow in comparison, and they they resent having to slow themselves down to our level. Imagine how I talk normally. Speed that (laughs) up. They think fast, they talk fast, they live fast, they do have a very quick um, life cycle. I mean, I think that's one of their main things. Their life expectancy is quite low because they just mature so quickly. Then there's the Turians. Who are kind of like this universe's equivalent of the Vulcans, really. They are... If you got the Vulcans and biggest... the Romulans, yeah. you put them back together and you went, so, you're sneaky, logical bastards, are you? And we're bigger than you, stronger than you, smarter than you, and better at everything than you are. And they like to tell you. Yes. They do have an, a sort of superiority complex going on. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, the Asari. The uh, space whores. The blue space whores. The, the Orions <laughs> to the uh, every to the sci-fi, Effect franchise. Because every sci-fi series needs a female-only species. Ah, uh, but they're not female-only, they're androgynous. No, they are female-only. I know they are actually female-only. They are female-only. With a very interesting uh, ramification to how they reproduce. Yes. <laughs> but again, and, this is one of the cool little bits of the side notes. There is a lot of science going on with all the different races. And all this. I say science, but a lot of backstory with all the different races. Yes, and I mean, those three... Uh, they're important to bring up immediately because they're, of course, the Council Races. They were the first three to discover the Citadel in the history of this universe, and they formed this Council to rule the Citadel, and all the sentient species come under the rule of the Citadel in a sort of United Federation of Planets kind of a way. This is the thing. is This should give you an idea of how the future is run and how humanity is. There are countless different kinds of alien species wandering around the Citadel, wandering around space. Yeah, but the futuristic equivalent of the United Nations contains three representatives. <laughs> that should Who, give you some kind of idea of. They're yeah. very reluctant to share power. Mm-hmm. Really, is what's going on. They they are convinced they know what's for the best, and they don't want any voices to dissuade. But they do have a large ambassadorial contingent. Yes, including species like the Elcor. Who are wonderful and really well thought out. Fascinating. Uh, for such a side note 
species in a game like this. Really. The Elcor are the big heavy guys or the big yeah. weight? Oh, it's the Hanar I'm thinking of. Yeah. Again, for a side note species really in this cool. universe, really well thought out. Elcor are enormous and they come from a very heavy gravity world where one misstep can be fatal. So they are extremely slow and cautious in their movements. You can only imagine they wind the Solarians up something chronic. <laughs> They'd also be full orcs. They do in, uh, talk incredibly slowly as well. Um, Which is a pain in the ass. When, when they choose to talk, because their yeah. language is entirely done by... Um, not entirely. Not entirely, but most... They have no emotion in their voice. Yeah. The emotional context is carried through pheromone and body language. Yeah. Which is why they preface everything they say to non-Elcor with their emotional state, in a similar way to HK-47. It's partly amazingly cool backstory and partly a nod back to HK-47, who everyone loves. Oh, he was a huge fan favourite, so they had to work something in. Surprised exclamation. I didn't realise that. (laughs) That is exactly what we're looking at here for... uh... Then you've got the Hanha, again. uh, A very side-note race. They're shopkeepers on a couple of places in Mass Effect. But they are floating jellyfish of no easily determinate gender. Space jellyfish. Who refer to themselves in the third person because they have no self-identity. Just very alien aliens. It's very like um, Japanese society taken to an extreme in that they they only ever refer to themselves as this one. That, That is their equivalent of I or me. And only when they really, really know something like a, a, a... their mates or possibly really close relatives will they refer to themselves by their own first name. Yeah. And that's the only time that will ever happen. So they're a very interesting species. Very difficult to pierce exactly what it is they're saying, but very interesting nonetheless. And so they're ambassadorial representatives on the Citadel Station, as are humans. We've reached that level of interstellar politics. We are by no means the top players in this game. But that they know we exist. Yeah, we have some sway with the council. Because we're so damn noisy, if I recall, is the uh We make a bother of ourselves, yeah. Yeah, the other races don't really like us because we've just jumped into galactic... We've shoulder-barged our way onto the Citadel. And said, hey guys, we're like really awesome and we know all this stuff and we found this really cool mass relay and... We are the brash newcomers to interstellar society. We we are pretty much the youngest race on the Citadel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I think so. We're also expanding faster than anyone else. We are taking over more planets and just growing and breeding a lot faster than any of the races. Which is also bothering them. Yeah. And then you get races who aren't that concerned with the Citadel, like... Uh, my personal favourite, the Quarians. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, species who live on a massive flotilla, uh, constantly on the move, and their only real contact with outside races is when, uh, as a rite of passage growing up, each Quarian is sent off on a pilgrimage, where they will leave the flotilla, travel amongst the other races, the other planets, even the Citadel, and not return until they can bring something of value to the flotilla, whether it be equipment, resources, or even just knowledge. The flotilla is always, it always reminds me kind of of, of the Battlestar Galactica setup. Yeah, it's. Of it's... this crusty old fleet of cobbled together ships with this race of desperate engineers trying to keep everything running. Mm. And so, you know, knowledge can be that kind of special gift to the flotilla. But what I love about the Quarians is the, the mystery in that they are always seen in environment suits that completely cover their features. So you, you don't know what they are, very simply. Mm. Which is funny because they're also the creators of the game's main uh, nemesis, the, the bad Geth. guys. Yeah, a synthetic race 
one of the reasons that in this race artificial intelligence is so very frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Well, it's in every race, in every set, in everything in the setting, AIs are really, really bad. Yeah, they have a stigma. Sorry, they're, they're very concerning. They are taboo. <laughs> yes, which is why you have VIs, virtual it. intelligences. Yeah. Yes, designed to simulate intelligence rather than um, actually possess it. Yeah, it's sort of like the slightly brightly coloured holographic Clippy the paperclip. <laughs> N- no. More really like Milo in Project Natal. Ah, right. Not intelligent in any way, but capable of holding a conversation, albeit on a very simple level. Mm. Good tour guides, which is one of the yeah. uh, uses we see them put to. And the uh, plot of the game surmises that the Geth, these creations of the Quarians, accidental creations more or less, uh, are running rampant. And they've attacked a human colony, and you, as a commander in the Alliance Navy, are sent to investigate. But you're not just sent to investigate because you're there. You're also under investigation from one of the members of what's known as the Spectres. And do you remember what that stands for? I don't remember what it stands for, but let's let's investigate a Bioware's trope, (laughs) shall we? Because, you know, Bioware creates... Nice old republic, whereupon you are embarking on this great crusade to prove your worth and become a Jedi, effectively. Yep, and as we know in their more recent game, Dragon Age, you eventually become a Grey Warden, part of a small elite band of specially trained and, uh, you know, what-have-you warriors who are few in number but immense in sort of power and standing. And in Mass Effect, the Spectres are the elite military wing of the Citadel itself. Existing beyond legislation, beyond orders, operating independently, and with complete power, they travel and troubleshoot and solve problems in very much the same way as a Jedi of the Old Republic. Or, or a Grey Warden of uh, Ferelden. <laughs> yeah. But to the, uh, to the date of before uh, Mass Effect takes place, there have been no human spectres. No. Which is why it's significant that in effectively the tutorial mission... You're being watched by a Turian Spectre, who is uh, assessing your your uh, suitability to be inducted into the Spectre program. Which is, of course, the kickoff to the game in true Bioware style. You do get there, eventually. Uh, but not before you discover that involved in the Geth plot is a rogue Spectre. Oh, Saren. I thought you were going to say Alec Trevelyan for a second. Who? <laughs> <laughs> 006. Oh, yeah. Rogue Spectre. I'm sorry. Sorry, uh, yes. No, not, not Spectre. Jedi. <coughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm having a moment. Which puts you in conflict with the Council right from the get-go and pretty much starts off the Paragon or Renegade dichotomy of the game. Yeah. Which is another Bioware trope. <laughs> do you want to be good guy and send a kitten to college? <laughs> or do you want a bad guy and punt him through a blackboard? It is... Uh, it's true to say that Bioware can be held up a little bit for ridicule in the, the black and white choices that you get for good and evil. It is the extremes. There's very little middle ground. But it's the way that you come to those decisions that is very interesting in Mass Effect. Because you can play an out-and-out... I don't, it's not really a bad guy character, but a very violent, brash character. The, the renegade option. Yeah. So that's... One of the things I did like about uh, the difference in Renegade and Paragon is that it's very different to Light Side and Dark Side. Yeah. So it it does give you these really interesting character developments, and you can try and figure out your character's 
background? Because you, you do have to sort of figure out, is it three different things for your character? Yeah, background? I was just going to say, I want to backtrack and say, actually, the character diversification starts as soon as you create them. Because yeah. uh, rather than just picking a class, uh, you start off uh, picking, I think it's where you were born, whether yeah, you were where a human you were born colonist. And your, uh, your last kind of yeah. history. It's where you were born. You're either born in space, on a colony, or on Earth, yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. And then you're either um, a war, war hero. hero, a soul survivor, or, or a ruthless or a ruthless leader. Yeah, yeah. Was it. so it's it. You're setting up a little bit about your nature immediately from the get go. So the game knows uh, to throw us a few little bits of dialogue here and there that uh, hint at your past, and, and some also unique quests as well. Unique quests. Uh, if you're the colonist, you get the. Um, if, maybe if, if if you're a colonist survivor, there was an attack on your colony, and which you is, are the survivor. Yes, which was my character. And then um, you encounter the people who attacked it. Well, no, this, the thing was, uh, the colonist one. Um, your colony got attacked by slavers. Yeah. Um, so you do meet someone who's managed to escape from the slavers, and you've got to talk her down from shooting someone or shooting herself. Or something. This is this is why my character had such a wide jump between Renegade and Paragon options because he was essentially <laughs> batshit insane. Grew up on a colony where his entire family and most of the people he knew were killed and taken off by slavers. Mm. Then he joined the military and I gave him the Soul Survivor background option, which meant his entire platoon essentially was eaten by threshimals or sandworms. <laughs> so everywhere he goes, the people around him keep getting killed in really horrific ways. Whereas mine, uh, I had a completely different unique quest because I was a... I believe I was a war hero and an Earthborn. Yeah. And I encountered one of my um, colleagues yep. who was down on his luck. And it was very simply, I was trying to get him help, get him rehabilitated. So it's a completely different feel to the quest. Yeah. I don't think it was any surprise I was playing the Earthborn war hero as well. Yeah. <laughs> no one who knows you will be surprised at that, yeah. no. Actually, the, uh, the Soul Survivor unique mission was incredibly interesting because it's you find... The, the people that were in charge, the Cerberus Corporation, who were actually in charge of putting that Threshamore in on the planet that uh, killed your squad. Yeah. And you find one of your squad members who actually managed to survive, and they've been experimenting on him, and he's taking his revenge, killing off all the uh, the scientists that caused it. Cerberus is very Wayland yutani Oh, yeah. But, I mean, just the way... Yeah. The, the, the dialogue option of, you know, trying to talk him down from killing the head scientist, you know, who caused all this, this grief, and one of them is just... Absolutely brilliant. It's if you kill that man, you'll go to prison. Then you can shoot him. See, I'm a spectre. I won't. <laughs> and Cerberus are another one. There, um, there's something of a side along plot throughout Mass Effect. They, you encounter them here and there. It's there if you want to go looking for but it. But they're not a big deal. But of course, you know, certain people may have noticed that Martin Sheen has been brought in to do a voice for the head of Cerberus for the sequel. Oh, okay. so that's very interesting. I think it's safe to say that Cerberus are going to be a big deal in is, the sequel. Um, is Lars Henriksen back as uh, Admiral Hackett? Uh, spoiler, Admiral Hackett died, didn't he? No. In the final battle. Uh, yes. Did he? It does depend on which choices you make. Yeah, if you go in to save the council, I think... He sacrifices himself. See, I didn't. Fuck the council. <laughs> am I going to save the admiral, or am I going to save a bunch of alien retards on no, a ship? No, wait, no. I'm I'm getting mixed up. I was thinking of someone else. The person who was obsessed with trying to find uh, Cerberus. Mm. I can't remember who that was. His brother got killed. But yeah, that's an, that's Rear Admiral. Rear Admiral. I don't remember K- his name. Kohoku. 
Kohoku, yeah. It is. Yeah. Well remembered. Sorry, but uh, no, Hackett does survive to the end because he's the one that meets you when you're yes, at of course, the cause... ending bit. That, I think we should give away the ending. We can spoil the rest of it, but I think we should give away the ending. Yeah. Okay, but cool, he cool. is there at the ending, very specifically, because I remember he came up for my ending choices. Yeah, that, that was <laughs> my bad. I was getting um, Kohoku and... I was as well. Yeah. Well, we've... we've... Briefly spoken about, you know, a lot of cool things about Mass Effect, and we've got a brief synopsis of where it all comes from. So, what do we want to talk about first? You know, what, what's the cool thing about Mass Effect? Honestly, I think it's the same cool thing that any Bioware game has, and that's just the depth and the immersion of the story. The Codex. Yeah, Bioware are storytellers and yeah. world builders. Uh, the Codex, uh, to explain, is an encyclopedia that you build up article by article as you encounter things throughout the game, giving you all the backstory that they've clearly lovingly crafted for every race, every location. Every weapon, every mineral every you survey, every company, planet, every planet, every tiny little alien plant life form, every character, every ship part, family of characters. And so many of the codex entries are voice acted. Really? Yeah, mm. Maybe not, um, most of the history ones and uh, Earth Force. Uh, now, Earth Force, sorry. Um, I don't. It's the Earth Alliance. Earth Alliance. Earth Alliance. That was it. Uh, yeah, the Earth Alliance stuff are usually like the the naming conventions for the ships. Now I'm going to sound like a complete philistine, but <laughs> I didn't read the majority of the Codex entries. Reason being is that when I was in the middle of a firefight, trying to avoid having my head shot off by an angry something, and a little a little bleeper showed up, going, "New Codex entry." I went. That's very interesting. I'll read it later. <laughs> later would come around. I'd look at my big glowing display of, of codex options that I haven't read and go, ah, 53 new entries. I think I might die. Yep. And I'd go back to shooting things. There is a whole lot of expanded information that you don't, you don't need to go and read, but we would severely suggest that you do so. Oh, yeah, there's oh, yeah. absolutely no requirement uh, to read them if you want to enjoy the game. I think Troy's just proven that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's if you are the kind of person, I am that kind of person, who reads the novels, uh, yep. who looks at the Wikipedia pages, who Star Wars databank. Yes. I'm, yeah. That's actually a really good point is if you look at Mass Effect as a kind of standalone experience and you add in the codex and the amount of time that you can spend reading all of those entries, yeah. and then you look at something like Star Wars, you know, New Hope, and you go, that was a really cool story. But there's not really much about the rest of the world in there. Mass Effect immediately stands alone as this kind of here is everything. We've built a could, world. You could ever want to know about this little segment of the universe that we've created just for you. If, if New Hope were a Mass Effect thing, you know, you, New Hope, you see Coruscant. No, um, I always do this. Elderon. Coruscant, Elderon. I, I always do this. It's, I, I don't know why it is those two, but I always get them mixed up. Get off this sofa. When you see Elderon, and then it gets exploded. Right. If Spoiler effect, warning! Aries dies. <laughs> Rose lets go. Rosebud was the sled. Bruce Willis is a ghost. I'm Spartacus! Sorry, but carry on. If, if it were a, a Mass Effect film, essentially, you'd get this little bleeper saying, oh, new information, and it would tell you all about Alderaan. <laughs> it only was there on screen for about five seconds before it, you know, detonated. But you would but have the complete political history and... The, the geographical history, how it came to be, how they went on about space. society. And then you'd feel really sad, because you just found out all this information. That's a really cool planet. And it's and gone. gone. As if a great <laughs> many voices suddenly cried out in terror. Yep. Mm -hmm. Saying, please don't forget about our great... 
history of traditional cheese making and the characters <laughs> as well. Like, it's not just the backstory; it's how it's presented. Oh, the characters, Rex. Yes. Well, this is the you don't have to read the the backstory of the Codex. The stuff that is there is just as good. Yeah. You meet a crew of various and sundry races. There are humans there. There is an Asari with you. There is a Turian with you. Come as humans. Well, there isn't a Silurian in your in your party. There's not one in the crew. You meet several. Uh, yeah, but not in your party. I mean, and yeah. some of them are mission critical later on, and are very cool missions. Yeah, and you do have a Krogan who we didn't mention earlier in the races, which uh, is odd because they are one of my favourites. They're a really interesting right. take on the whole warrior. Can I, race. Can, I, can I condense this? I want to give Go my ahead. okay. If you crossed a Klingon with a battle toad, yep. That's ex- yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> that is the crookings. Uh Although they're actually more interesting when you get into the whole um, backstory of the Solarians, who are the great scientists, but not the greatest of warriors. Uh, creating them, accelerating their development into a sentient race, and then guiding their development into a warrior race of mercenaries to fight for them, and then going, oh shit, we've created quite a strong race here. And chemically castrating a lot of them. Yep. Creating a, a genetically, genophage. Yeah, genetically castrating the entire race. And it's one of my favourite things in this game that makes it grown up, as opposed to mature, for yep. mature gamers oh, yeah. only, is when you're talking to Rex about the genophage, about why the Krogans aren't doing something about it. And he asks you very simply, when did you last see a Krogan scientist? Because they've been bred and created to be a warrior race, they're allowing themselves to die out and accelerating the process by getting into every fight they can. Even if they can fight each other, as long as the yeah. money's good, they don't Cause, care. Because what else are you going to do? It's a very interesting mindset. I mean, it's one of the codex about the Krogan that I really loved. It was the, probably my favourite line in a codex was um, when it talks about the Solarians turning up on the Krogan homeworld and it, uh, introducing them to guns. Firearms, and it says uh, prior to the Solarian visitation, the major cause of <laughs> the main cause of death on the Krogan homeworld for Krogan uh, people was eaten by predators. After the Solarians turned up, the most common cause of death was death by gunshot. As soon as they got guns, they started shooting all the big predators that would eat them, and, and then went other. to war with each other. Yep. <laughs> and Krogans are great because they are so single-minded. That they will let themselves die out. Yep. What is what's the uh, survival of your species if you don't know where your next paycheck's coming from? Pretty much. Think about number one first. Which makes them a a race with so much pathos behind them, but they are the big shouty ras. Very interesting. Uh, dichotomy is the word, isn't it? It is indeed. Between yep. Oh, I remember something. <laughs> <laughs> and. I, it has to be said, I find the alien races are much more interesting than the two humans you've got along with you. Oh. Now, this is the thing. Carpo Nassi. Caden <laughs> <laughs> has some very interesting backstory. But he's No, he doesn't. So, he, no, 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 he, he does. does. He no, has, he doesn't. No, he has some very interesting backstory. No, he he's doesn't. He is a dull character. He is psychic ender. That is his background. <laughs> yes, he is. But not everyone's red ender's game. 
go off and read Ender's Game and play Mass Effect 1 and play Fallout. Come yeah, back to absolutely. us when you're done, listeners. Do all this shit. But um, no, Carthanassi does. His backstory is terrible. You mean Nalenko? No, I mean Carthanassi. He is Carthanassi <laughs> because he's got the same problem of being a whiny little bitch. I'm here to promote the, the, the middle ground. I want to be the nice guy, but looks, also kick ass. He looks unsettlingly like Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. <laughs> does just look like yeah. Freddie Prince Jr. And then you've got Ashley, who is a massive Evil Dead reference. Yeah. And is also shit. Yes. And this is the thing. Again, her backstory is potentially quite interesting. I don't know. Her backstory... When you compare her to Caden, who has, like, you know, mind explosions and crippling people with his brain... I thought Ashley's was more interesting because Caden is, oh, mind explosion, oh, psychic overload, oh... And Ashley's is religion, uh, xenophobia... Mm -hmm. uh, how how religion hasn't phased out over the hundreds of years and how it can still be turned to bigotry, especially when aliens get involved and and why? And you're talking about sexual assault. And, and her family history as well. Yes. Yeah. Her grandfather was the only person... Backstory, spoiler. As a retroactive <laughs> spoiler. Humans the Turian Wars. Yeah, as soon it? as we met the Turians, we had what was called the first contact war. Yeah. Man, don't you feel good to be human? First thing we did when we saw the Turians was fight them. Well, they probably had it coming. They probably stood up, sent a transmission, and went, We are the Turians. We're much smarter than you, and we're here to make sure you don't breed any further than that little brown rock of yours. Also, to put it into context of the human race of Mass Effect, were they human? No. Therefore, they had it coming. Fair point. We are a bit of a xenophobic bastard race. Yeah, boy. But the trouble with both the human characters is they are fundamentally unlikable. Which is true. It's the Janeway effect. It is it is the Star Trek Voyager approach. Make the aliens so f- much far more interesting than the two unlikable human characters. Yeah, it's not so much the Janeway effect, but it is definitely the Voyager yeah. effect. You're right, yeah. It's bring the aliens to the fore, make them the focus. By but, making the humans uninteresting. Well, I don't think that was intentional in Bioware's instance. I think it was an yep. unfortunate byproduct. Was <laughs> yeah. By making the aliens such interesting characters. Even Garrus, who I would argue is the weakest of your... I love Garrus. I, I've got to say, I do really, really like Garrus. Garrus is saying, something out of a detective novel. I'm I, not saying he's not cool. I'm saying he's potentially the weakest of the aliens. But Liara. what I'm saying is, he's still awesome. True. Liara's, Liara's not really the weakest... But Liara is there mostly as the gateway drug into the whole why are Asari actually cool yeah. and not just big blue space whores. Yeah, and Liara's also there for potential comedy gold. All right, this is another reason I love Mass Effect, and this is something not everyone may know because I certainly didn't know it until I was told it by someone else. You didn't know something about Mass Effect? Give over. Liara is collected from one of the main quest planets, as, mm-hmm. as we know. It's, uh, there are several main quests in Mass Effect, each one on a different world. Yeah, and if you're smart, you'll do the Yara quest first. Well, exactly. That's why not a lot of people know about this. Oh. Because uh, the smart thing to do is to go and do the Liara quest first so you can complete your party as quickly as possible and mm-hmm. have all of the skills to draw on, which is what I always did. right. Which is why I didn't know what happened if you picked her last. Yeah. Yeah, Jack and I are sharing a look. Like, no, this know. ought to be good. No, Jack, no. Oh, you know. I've told okay. Jack about this. Basically, um, to cover a bit more of the basic plot of Mass Effect, it's about Prothean technology. Protheans also having the name the Forerunners. 
uh, technology that uh, predates the Citadel. So old. So it's about 50,000 years ago, aren't they? I can't remember the exact dating, but that sounds about right. It's, it's a long time. <clears throat> long-ass time ago, they were around and made shit. And this is what the attack on the human colony right at the start of the game is about, when they find a Prothean beacon. And, uh, you know, the Spectres want to check it out, Earth wants to check it out, and so do the Geth, for whatever reason. Now, this is why Liara is handy. She is an archaeologist, specialist in Prothean technology. Well, Prothean culture in general. Now, if you wait and pick her up last, well, you'll remember the situation she was in when you got there. Trapped in a stasis field. That's right. And that means that if you wait until the very last mission to pick her up, she's been trapped for a while. Oh. And has gone a bit... Funny. <laughs> oh, it actually it actually classes the time she's been trapped in there as real time. If you do other missions, yeah. <laughs> and then you do the debriefing after the mission, as you always do. Yeah. And uh, this Prothean archaeologist, who's been stuck in a stasis field for ages, learns what you've been gallivanting around doing, like discovering a Prothean beacon, then finding another one that's working. And communicating with it. And having a key to decode the Prothean language downloaded into your head. And, well, simply put, uh, surpassing her knowledge of the Protheans in a couple of days... Living living her dream life. ...that she has spent an entire lifetime working on. And the Asari live for a very long time. She's young by their standards, but she's about 120. Yeah. And she loses it. (laughs) She just goes off at you. Oh my god. With the whole unfairness of the whole situation. Sudden urge to troll a Mass Effect character. (laughs) And that is why I love Bioware. They actually thought, well, okay, if you leave her till last, you've left her there a while. Yeah. She's not going to be the happiest of chickies. She's going to need to pee. And then she's going to learn that you've been off doing what she would really, really loved to have done. Oh yeah, not to mention, uh, spoiler warning, killing her mother. Yep. Yeah, that came up as well, oh, of yeah. course. Because <laughs> you go to Novaria, you do fight Matriarch Bubnesia. Yep, Matriarch Deanna Troy. Well, yeah, you, uh, you mentioned it is Marina Sirtis. The voice acting is really cool. Yeah, lots of... Oh, yeah, no, big names. Lots of big names, especially the geeks. Mm, Lance Henriksen, yeah, Seth Green, Marina Sirtis. And that's a trend that is really continuing with the sequel. Like I was saying, we've got Martin Sheen, but there's also... Again, I'm pretty sure Battlestar and Firefly types are coming around for this. Adam Baldwin is another thing. I think things? he's oh, in there, yeah. Oh, wonderful. I'm pretty sure Trisha Helfer's in there as well. I could be wrong on that. Interesting. Hey, do you think if we got uh, Michelle Rodriguez, she would survive <laughs> to the end of the game? God, no. I'll tell you what, should we look up the, the IMDB and find out who's actually going to be voicing the Bob. But yeah, I mean, Adam Baldwin, he is in there. Who's uh, he credited as? Just a voices? Cal Riga. I want to find Kalriga. Yeah. I want to touch him. Michael Dawn. Oh! I was just about to say, if Michael Dawn is in there, I will be incredibly happy. Yay. Yeah, Michael Dawn is in there. Seth is this, Green, of course, we is know. Is this the same thing as happened with Gargoyles? Like, <laughs> one of the Star Trek crew really enjoyed doing it, and they went, hey, guys. Well, no, because it looks like Michael Dawn is pretty much the only Star Trek guy this time around. I suppose Marina Sirtis can't come back. <laughs> but there are a, a couple of Battlestar folks, yeah. Uh, Trisha Helfer is in there, playing EDI. 
No. And uh, Michael Hogan is in there as a captain. Cool. So, Saul Tai. Hells yeah. If his character is missing an eye, I will be very happy. <laughs> if he's got I an suppose... eye patch bolted onto his head. <laughs> if we can't have Lance Henriksen, my God, he's a good second choice. And, yeah, Martin Sheen, again, as I mentioned. But what will the president be doing on Ooh. the Mass Effect game? <laughs> Carrie Ann Moss. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's really strange. But this does all just lend such credence to they got voice actors they knew would appeal to geeks. Yeah, oh, they yeah. know their market. This, this isn't, I mean, as awesome as all these actors are, this isn't talent farming, this is name farming. Yeah, this is, what do we know? It's Firefly we know, Battlestar we know, Matrix we know, Star Trek we know. <laughs> I am Weasel! <laughs> so now, you, now you've got to tell me there's got to be at least star, one Star Wars actor in there somewhere. No, he's he's off uh, doing Arkham Asylum too. Oh, damn it. Not names that I recognised. You never know, there might have been. I was, I was making, meaning one in particular, the, uh, the one, the big voice actor. Frank Oz? It's uh, the biggest voice actor know, in Star Wars, yes, so don't give me that I, look. <sighs> Who did he's you meant meant Mark Hamill. Okay, he's doing Arkham Asylum yes, too. Yes, I know. You're doing Arkham Asylum too. Oh, I will be. In its, in its many Holes. windows. So where were we? We were talking about voice actors and love and... Liara going crazy. Yeah, we were talking about how they had the right voice actors oh, yeah. in, the, in the first one and in the new one. Cool. And reading surprisingly good dialogue. Yes. Actually, yes. Even it, Shepard's dialogue the whole way through. Surprisingly natural. There are a couple of moments, but in general it flows better than any Western-style RPG I've played which I think is really in time down to the, the timing of it. With um, You can interrupt people. Mm. And, um, you don't exactly know what the wording is of what... This is what I quite like, is you do your character does have dialogue, but you don't automatically skip through it, because you don't pick something to say. You pick a sort of response style, yeah. and then watch as they go on in their own little way. something I've always described as the dialogue option that you see on screen is sort of your inner monologue. And then that is expressed in the character's own way, so that the character you are playing can still surprise you. Yeah. Makes for an incredibly cinematic game. This We're interview is, is over. <laughs> now, we probably should have taken into account... The, the, one of the dialogue options when you're being harassed by a reporter is, this interview is over. But it's in squared-off brackets as though it were... Uh, an action. An action. So this interview's over becomes pulls gun and points it at reporter's face. Which, again, you know, that follows exactly what I was saying. It's your inner monologue, what mm-hmm. you're thinking to yourself, and then how you express that. Yep. <laughs> Good times. But it's interesting, actually, as spoilerific as we've been, we haven't actually mentioned the real plot. We haven't. Uh, you know what? As far in as we've come, and we've not mentioned it yet, do you think we... We could just leave it? I think all, we'll, all we need to say away the is we've actually not told you what it's really about, yeah, just ha- how you get there. We haven't even really touched on the plot, the no. main body of it anyway. We said, yeah, there's a bad guy called Saren. We've talked about the setup. There's Saren, there's Geth, there's Cerberus, and, in, and an interest in something called the Protheans. Yep. So we haven't even mentioned the bad guys. No. 
not the real of this Burgos, is actually yeah. the real storyline of Mass Effect. So it's kind of telling, in a way, how immensely evocative and just deep the plot and the universe is that we've been able to talk about it so long without actually <laughs> touching on the we've actual storyline. Very nearly, if not, gone an episode now. Well. Without mentioning it. If we were to sit here and talk to you about the entirety of the plot from beginning to end of Mass Effect, which is in itself part one of three... Mm-hmm. There's a trilogy. Yeah. And then there are more stories in the universe coming. They said Shepard gets three. Right. The universe gets more. Interesting. I like And they it. might be different genres. Oh, that's only lending further credence to the idea of a Mass Effect RPG book. Isn't it? <laughs> I came. <laughs> it's also lending credence to a Mass Effect MMO. I certainly hope so. That's, that's okay. I've already paid for Star Trek. What I would actually like to see is um, a Mass Effect strategy game as well. Can you imagine space strategy in the world of Mass Effect? Mm. Yes. Homeworld style. Yes. <laughs> but again, mutant wishlisting aside... Oh, oh total yeah, mutant yeah. wishlisting. This, this, this will be... It, it sounds like it's going to be awesome. And there's more to come from the Mass Effect universe. And we trust Bioware. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, they're a pretty much all-hits company. I can't think of a game they've made I didn't enjoy. I would say Dragon Age was quite... Weak compared to their other stuff, but it's still well, damn good. And we, we still advised it as our number one game to <laughs> yeah. buy in two thousand and nine. So <laughs> no, no, that was Arkham Asylum. Oh yeah, sorry, it's still it was on the list. list. Yeah, it was two. on the list. So the fact that that's their weakest, although I don't know, Jade Empire is probably their weakest. I haven't played Jade Empire, so I can't. I'm playing through it, okay. and it's it's probably the weakest, but it's still damnably fun. Yeah, but Mass Effect is their strongest, you'd say. Oh yeah. Cool. Almost, almost certainly, just for the depth and the love that has clearly gone into everything that's in there. Right. It's, I'm so passionate about that universe. I am, if they're not doing it, I am writing my own pen and paper version. Yep. We know this. <laughs> I am definitely going to support the theory that this is the strongest one they've done. Excellent. Well, it's, it, it, the way I would explain it is that, you know, if you, if you play in a, a tabletop role-playing game where the GM clearly loves what they're doing and they've really got a good story to tell, and it's just more fun because you know the games masters enjoying themselves that much. Mass Effect has that feel about it. Mass Effect has the kind of let me show you appeal because you don't feel at any point like you're being compelled by writing or developer tricks in order to see the world. Yeah. You're given the opportunity to explore and there's so many little kind of come look at me that you can spend hours doodling about and achieving Speaking very little. Speaking of exploration, before we finish, I do want to mention the Mako. Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh. boy. How did we get this far? <laughs> the Mako is your little... It's not really a tank. It's your armoured personnel carrier, I think is more fair to say. <laughs> it's got jets! But it's a go-anywhere, all-terrain, jet-enabled vehicle with a, a big-ass cannon. It's a tank with a jump pack. Do you it, know what the coolest yeah. thing is about this, this this little truck that you're driving around? It is like the Toyota Hilux of spacecraft. <laughs> because this thing, they drop from the fucking sky. They don't land the ship to drop you off either in the Mako. No, this thing is hardcore enough, they will drop you from 800 feet. You'll land... And you've not even spilled your fucking coffee. It is that whole combat drop mentality. I do yeah. love that. They never really show it getting picked back up. With no. space <laughs> MacGuffins. But you mentioned combat drop. Mm. That is one of the coolest cutscenes. Oh, yeah. 
the again we don't even have to spoil it we don't have to mention it but you will know which one we're talking about when you reach it in the game <laughs> and you make the ultimate maker drop <laughs> but yes a six or eight wheel i can't remember six or eight six wheels, wheel, doesn't it? six wheel six wheel tank with a jetpack each wheel about the same height as you yeah that's important <laughs> with a turret mounted minigun and um big ass cannon big cannon yeah which I didn't know was there. Neither did I for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I finished one of the main quest worlds and several side quests before I found out that it had a main gun. See, I'm the complete opposite. Uh, My god, the Thresher Moors were easier to deal with when I knew it had a main gun. I've heard three people say I had no idea it had a main gun. I had no idea it had a main gun. I had no idea it had a mini gun. <laughs> that doesn't strike me as odd for you, yeah. though. Because I just tapped right bumper and saw the giant cannon go off, and I thought, oh, that's the weapon then, and I didn't see fit to bother firing right trigger at any point. <laughs> and then just ran, ran over monkeys. Whereas I did exactly the same thing in the opposite direction. I found the minigun, I went, aha, I found the armament. Yep. <laughs> because the main gun doesn't really look that big. It looks like it could house a, uh, a rotating minigun yep, section. absolutely. And, you know, you compare it in size to something like the... Uh, it's only later when you compare it in size to something like the Geth Armature that you can realise, oh yeah, it could have a really big gun in it, because that fucking thing does. <laughs> fucking armatures. <laughs> but you'll have your most fun blasting things about the giant cannon, running over monkeys, Oh yeah. and driving it to the top of the tallest mountain you can possibly find, and ramping it off and trying to see how many cartwheels you can do, because no matter how it falls... This thing is made with space weeble technology. <laughs> Not true. I've I've I have it. tipped it as well. Have you? Yep. yep. I have never been able to get it. That's because you're not as hardcore as us. Yeah. <laughs> we are clearly the more reckless drivers. Uh, hang on, we've played Halo, right? Yeah. Yeah, yes. I can make no. a warthog dance. As I, can I. I can make a warthog scream with pain and fear. As how can I. I, I can do both at the same <laughs> fucking time. I am the reckless <laughs> and incompetent driver. <laughs> you are Gary Hazard. And one of my favourite places to take the Mako is the moon. Yeah, I, I was going to bring it up if you weren't. Although, actually, the moon is also one of my minor gripes with the game as well. Really? Because it's the moon, but it seems to have Earth standard gravity. Yeah, it's got every other world standard yeah. gravity, which is a minor gripe. It is a tiny little thing, but if they're going to the the <coughs> lengths of putting the moon in the game and going, there is Earth on the horizon, just just for one, just change the gravity. We all know what it should be. You give us the fun of a Mako with jets and one-sixth gravity. You'd leave. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would go away and you would go, oh shit, Normandy... Help before I re-enter Earth atmosphere. <laughs> the Mako could take it. Uh, Joker would rescue you first. That's true. He'd be like, Commander, what, what you doing? And he'd be sailing. And then you know what he'd say? Message coming through, Commander. Patching oh, <laughs> Got a message from the fleet. No, Passing it? it through. Yep. Message incoming. Patching it through. This is Admiral Hackett. Yay! <laughs> 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 oh, that's oh, Hemmingson. Say more things to it's, me. It's one of Hackett's missions, isn't it? That mm -hmm. actually sends you to uh, to Luna. Yep. And I, there's so many little touches to this game that now now I'm thinking about it, I'm going, I love that. I love that. Um, one of them is Joker. He's just awesome. Yep. Uh, the the music in the galaxy map. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. I, I really love that music. Yep, I can feel that. The music at all points, really, is is very nice. 
Mm-hmm. Some of the, especially during the final battle, it's got that kind of epic driving, but it's like a Hans Zimmer track, but <laughs> it's not as repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> and during things like um, the survival horror mission, yeah, the, the zombie planet, yeah, and it's the, the, and little... the aliens, yeah. The news reports you listen to in the famously slow-moving elevators. Oh. They make it bearable, though, when you start hearing about... Uh, your exploits. Your exploits, and but also Elcor Hamlet and... The, fir- the first <laughs> Hamlet to be the non-speaking role. It's all done through um, pheromones. Yep. And, yeah, Which uh, allows the Elcor to appreciate Shakespeare and allows other races to judge Hamlet by his actions, not his words. Well, his actions <laughs> were that he went bug-nut crazy and... Or well, did he? he did or did he or did he that is the entire point what about when the wind blows nor nor west exactly he knows a hawk from a handsaw you've got to remember i bleed hamlet yes you so do gildenstern (laughs) (laughs) and uh, those little touches yeah the your exploits is the same fun as hearing about yourself in grand theft auto on the news or admittedly running around a starbase outside of earth and Having NPCs just shout your character's name. Weaver is the best. And <laughs> have you heard about Captain Weaver? Yeah, boy. I heard Admiral Quinn recounting Weaver's last mission. Impressive. <laughs> Mostly because I haven't been on a fucking mission yet. <laughs> Admiral Quinn was talking about me. Uh, mental. Admiral Mental. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to create a new character. Oh. Oh, I want to create Mental Shepherd. I want to play Mass Effect through as a total mentalist. That's what I did. Yeah, that sounds like fun. That's why I just kept jumping to Paragon uh, Renegade, because his mind was broken by everyone dying. He just went, I really like you, I really like you, hold a gun. That is one thing, actually, about Mass Effect. I didn't play through as pure Paragon or Renegade any single time, even the times I set out to do it. Because some of the decisions are so hard to make. The characters are so well characterised, there are people who just wind me up so much I can't (laughs) possibly do the good thing. They need to get smacked. Dr (laughs) Chakwas? And then there are people who are just so lovely, I cannot bring myself to be mean to them. (laughs) And also, just some of the renegade decisions are so unsettling. Mm -hmm. But also cool. Admittedly, yeah. It's like, hmm, if I was Robocop, how would I deal with this problem? <laughs> Are you saying Robocop's a renegade, not a paragon? You're saying Robocop's an asshole? Yeah. <laughs> a robotic asshole. Yeah. But he's cool. It's he is. Day. But it's... <laughs> Murphy transferring in from Metro South. <laughs> Man, I want to remake Robocop. Myself. Well, don't worry, Darren Aronofsky is doing it. Yeah, but I want to do it myself. Cool. It'll be really fucking weird. <laughs> cool. Can you imagine? Because we all know that the, the the structure of a Robocop story. Yeah. Can you imagine how weird the dream's going to be? Yeah, Robocop <laughs> has a dream. Right, Aronofsky, do you reckon you could do a dream sequence? Robocop has a dream. <laughs> throws a wobbly, kills Not a bunch of people. any dream sequence, Darren. We've got, we got to bear in mind, this has got to throw someone completely for a loop and drive them mental. I think I can handle it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Has a dream, throws a wobbly, kills a bunch of people, saves the day. Yep. Do you know how to direct someone to throw a wobbly? <laughs> Hi, I've just been spending a lot of time with this Mickey Rourke fellow. <laughs> there was a bit with a grocery store. Don't know yeah. if you saw it. You know, there was a slicer and a thumb. Oh. 
Wow, he so likes, he likes slices. I'm feeling really uncomfortable all of a sudden. <laughs> Looking forward to Robocop and Mass Effect 2. Yes. <laughs> Shall we leave it there? I think we, I, I am so surprised. Are you to movies, games, and videos? It's a show is awesome. <laughs> yes, and World on Stage 1, also awesome. Wonderful trivia about movies, games, and videos. The guy who voiced it. Yeah. Do you know what he also voiced? Is he in Mass Effect? No. Oh. The bad guy in Galaxy Quest. <gasps> awesome! Wow. So when he reviewed Galaxy Quest on Movie Skins and Video... <laughs> did, did he have a certain editorial bent? Well, he did say it was the best film ever made, but then explained he may just be saying that because... I suddenly remember the little shitty CG robot that rises up out of the middle of the floor. Yay! Ah, oh, Movie Skins and Videos... God, that was terrible. It was terrible. I was thinking this morning, actually, whatever happens in movies, games, and videos, and I realised they stopped making Echo the Dolphin games. That's what happens <laughs> with movies, games, and videos. Well, it was the cheapest programming, because all they had was that animation of a robot rising up out of the middle of the floor, yep. a couple of transitional animations of monitors moving in and out, and some purple diamonds, and then footage from whatever they were reviewing, and a voiceover. Which was inevitably either Sonic the Hedgehog 3... Or the latest Echo the Dolphin game. So there's no sets. Or Casper. There's no Casper. No, 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 no. There was a, the, the, only, the, movie, the only movie I ever remember them reviewing was Casper. I only ever remember them reviewing Galaxy Quest for a very specific reason. God, it was cheap. Ah. Oh. Guys, go out and watch this show. You didn't get this because you were How? in the... Yeah. How? It doesn't exist. On the internet, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. It might be on YouTube, I If you suppose. want to see some reviews of games probably older than you, the listener... <laughs> I don't know. I think you're giving... You know, you're not giving... Our listeners are old. You also forget this I'm is a podcast that started as a retro gaming podcast. So we have a large contingent of retro fans. We should fans. probably like, review some retro games at some point. We are going to. I like classic games. Classic is such a broad term. Yeah. Mass Effect, how old are you? Yeah, no, but we're going to need to... Classic doesn't preclude retro. This yeah. is so true. We can this bring is very retro true. games into it. So, I think we should very seriously think about doing that point-and-click adventures game. Point-and-click... I'm just about to bring it up, funnily enough. Again, you've, you've pre- preempted me. Sonic the Hedgehog does bring up another excellent retro... Retro franchise. Sonic. Absolutely. Yeah. Because Sonic, when it was good. I have recently purchased the Mega Nintendo got it. (laughs) I have recently gone out and purchased the Mega Collection of, like, every game prior to Sonic Adventure, I think. Just so the good era. Does uh, does anybody. I I like Sonic Adventure 2. No, you didn't. Do any of our listeners. Well, I imagine some of you will have. Did anybody actually fight in the console wars? And I mean literally left and right hand fight in the console wars, because I did. And as a veteran of, of that particular action, <laughs> I find it physically offensive that Sonic the Hedgehog is now on the Nintendo. Yeah, but that's because you fought for the wrong side. Losing side, Simon, not the wrong side. <laughs> Take a page out of Mal's book there. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the only war I ever fought in was the Prince versus Michael Jackson war. It's not true. You You fought in the Desu Wars. Wars. (laughs) (laughs) I fought in the Desu Wars, but that was not on the playground. (laughs) Yeah. Prince Michael Jackson. I scored my first uh, jaw shot uh, during the console wars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you say what you like. I remember that that kid going down. (laughs) (laughs) Just... (laughs) 
Shut up. Popped, um, kid popped went him down one. and you scored a jaw shot. No, no, no. I popped him one in the face and then he went down. Surely that's in the wrong order. Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> anyway, on that note. <laughs> what are we going to do next week, then? Point and Click Adventures? Sonic the Hedgehog? I like Point and Click, actually. I like Point and Click. The I classic LucasArts. Yep. So, we've already done Monkey Island. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll talk about uh, Maniac Mansion, <sighs> Day of the Tentacle... Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. I've got that. And Simon probably the will... No, because that's not LucasArts. Oh, I thought we were just doing Point and Click games. Well... It would be hard to to. I'm sure we'll reference. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, Adventure Soft, Horror Soft, but let's, let's, Sierra. Let's think Scum Engine for this one. Right. I'll, I will go out. Yeah. And Although again, I that doesn't limit it to Lucas. I know. Because we can bring in Fly to the Amazon Queen. I have uh, no mouth and I'm a scream. Uh, beneath Still Sky. Hey Jack. Was I have no mouth scum? If yeah. You, well, I you... played. I played on the scum VM. Oh, so cool. I can't really assume so. If you have no mouth and you must scream, do you know what you do? You fart really loud. <laughs> Although I probably won't have, I won't have nice things to say about I have no map on the screen say. because the copy that I got was broken <laughs> and just kept freaking out in really weird ways. Right, you've not read any Harlan Ellison, have you? I've, I haven't actually read the story it comes from. Or so. any Harlan Ellison. No, so I've... how do you know it was broken? This is <laughs> to me that sounds entirely I, feasible. I will, I, no, no, I will. I will tell you what I mean next episode because I, it was broken. Honestly, I think. Um... Okay, we will, but it's a game that could have a full episode devoted to it. Yeah, all right. It it really could very easily, but I think a broad overview of point and clicks, yeah, certainly. And out of that, there will be a number of games we can do full shows on yeah. down the road. So next week, point and click adventures. At some point in the future, we know now that we're going to have. I have no math. I'm a scream, and probably others. And I would be surprised shot. to see a um, you know, a day of the tentacle. Cool. Episode. Oh my god. That game was a formative part of my sense of humour growing up. Oh yeah, mine too. Man, we're fucked, aren't we? <laughs> I've never played it. Oh my god, you're as weird as you are. Oh, and we never are played... so totally doing a full episode on that, we are making you play it. Cool. Oh, dude. Oh, no problem with this. If we go back to the old system where we would talk about a game, then you would force me to play it by tying me to a chair and beating me if I didn't play it. Yeah, and then we decided based on that we should probably do a podcast about it. Yeah. Beating Jack. Yeah. Just go back and look at our first episode. And on that note... Yes. I have been Simon. I've been Jack. And I've been Troy for once. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Hi, Mum. You have been listening to World 1 Stage 1, a video game podcast. Thanks as ever to the mini-bosses for our theme tune. If you want to get in touch with us, you can visit our website at world1stage1.com. That's world and the number one, stage number one. You can email us through there, or you can follow us on Twitter. Just look up Twitter username, at W1S1. And through there, you can find the host's personal Twitter accounts, if you dare. 